Today on the Ben and Tony podcast, uh, we welcome Paru Ravindranathan. He's worked for the who's who of the media world, CNN, Al Jazeera, CNBC, and his career most lately culminated in the presidency and international managing director role at, over at Bloomberg Media. He shared rich insights throughout this episode on traditional versus non-traditional media career paths, uh, the role of the journalist in society, the erosion of trust in big institutions and the opportunities that presented from that, um, as well as expanding a media company across borders, and that's just to name a few. Parry is humble, he's incisive, and he's worth hearing. As the former president and managing director of Bloomberg Media International, Parry is one of the very few people in the world with a truly unique first-hand perspective on the evolution of global media. Spurred on by words of encouragement, from a senior media executive who once told him, you are destined for greater things. Parry has had an exciting career in international business and journalism that has spanned three continents and brought him to over 100 different countries. In a time where we are seeing geographic shifts and innovation to the East, Parry's experiences in Asia and the Middle East gave him special insight on where the world is heading. The story of Parry is a story of the future of media, and I hope you enjoy the discussion. And we are very, very excited to be sponsored by the Making Lemonade Fund, Gen Z's fastest growing fundraiser, supporting COVID-19 relief, pediatric cancer, and a bunch of other great causes. Get behind them over at makinglemonadefund.com and sponsor made by our very own Jesse Kay. On to the podcast where we're joined by Parry Ravindranathan. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Thank you. Well, we've got some very interesting transitions in your life to talk about. Uh, when you're young and you're studying things like media, does, does the career path seem obvious when you think about 20, 30 years down the line? Because let's say I was a 19-year-old right now and I wanted to get into the media industry, journalism. Did you have, it sounded like you, you ended up doing a lot of different things you know, as time went on. But when you were, let's say, in your early 20s, did you think, okay, I want to be an amazing anchor or a reporter or a writer or be the head of a a uh, a media company in like more of like a like an executive role did you have you do. that path yeah right well, now? i did i did i don't think everyone does to be very honest with you i think in fact a lot of my batchmates uh, from college uh, i mean my university batchmates many of them never really became journalists i think they didn't end up as journalists and many of them moved on to other things um, but I did. I think, you know, uh, as I as I kept going on, I became more and more ambitious. I had these big, I used to always tell some of my friends and they used to make fun of me. Um, and rightly so, uh, that, you know, I, by 30, I want to be a managing editor. I was never interested in being an anchor. Actually. That was never that I never tried it. And, you know, here and there, they put me on and I was not good at it. You know, I, you know, I was made, uh, you know, I had a face for radio more than uh, this thing. So I didn't really <laughs> I didn't other voice for uh, TV. <laughs> so I kind of, I always wanted to, to lead a newsroom. It was obviously the ambition that, you know, I wanted to be a managing editor of a network by 30. You know, I wanted to be, a, you know, to run a media company by 45. I mean, I had these, I think in some weird kind of ways, I kind of uh, managed to, to uh, hit those slightly before target by sheer luck. <laughs> nice. But that was, I always wanted to, you know, own a media company at some point. Okay. So yeah, I did have an ambition. And I think that was from a very early age. Uh, I had the ambition to, to kind of go that route, but it was, it was not, uh, I don't think it was that common because most people, many of them don't think of, many people, you know, the, you, I, I joined journalism during a big media explosion in journalism in India, where I come from. It was when suddenly TV was growing. TV was literally uh, at at the inflection point uh, at that time. You know when I joined. So that was again uh, just pure fortune. Um, newspapers were still very dominant and continued to be dominant for many years later. Digital was just starting out. In fact, the first media company, first company I joined was a little media com a company called India.com, which got bought out by Murdoch. It was insane. It was a vertical actually. It was a basically a Horizon, you know, basically it had everything. It had news was just one part of it. News was one vertical, it was a horizontal site. But um, but that was just the boom time where, you know, these things were going on. So so the opportunity looked, uh, you know, it looked pretty 
op- what you know the, the future looked very bright so mm-hmm. you could have that ambition and and it was different point, you know there's so many different kind of new media companies which are emerging so say you're a fresh graduate going through that same thing today um do you go through that traditional route or would you have done something else today i th- i think i would not follow the traditional route at all because i don't think there is a route i don't think there's a fixed route anymore you know i don't know whether you can even think that this is the path of how i'm going to go for journalism school and this is how my career will look um yes there are some great institutions still out there which which basically if it still would be in your top list uh, no matter what you know you know I, my, my belief is in 10 years time too those will still be in your top list for journalism careers you know so as a journalist it's still the you know the the names of cachet uh, but but i think the approach has changed dramatically even the skills have changed i'll be honest i mean i think uh, you know at a t- there was a time when you had to you know you chose to be a print journalist you chose to be this or that i i think that's all gone you basically need to be multi skilled to to survive uh, you cannot just assume that you know you're going to be a print journalist and kind of stick to that line you basically need the skills to be a video journalist you need the social media skills you need this skill or that skill i i just think that that's that's evolving quite dramatically i i don't think if i was starting today uh, with the skills that i had uh, you know when i was in college i don't know whether i would have actually made it you know i i think i would have had to it would be a fairly big evolution for me you know so it would be a big change well uh i if i've got the timeline correctly um one of the big moments where you kind of had to discover what you really wanted to do next was in your when you're in your 20s um at the time you were working at cnbc in india is that correct and then you decided to take a big leap and travel to afghanistan um yeah. can you tell us about that story and the impact that's had on on your life and 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 also the context leading up to that i mean i i told you earlier that to me that the idea of traveling to afghanistan in 2006 specifically i'd go today probably but 2006 that is a it's a big decision filled with lots of risk so how did that happen yeah. um i think um you know i i always wanted to be uh, to do something in the conflict uh, this thing i mean i have to say that there are people who have done amazing, incredible work and and i i don't think to get the credit they they should because most people don't realize how dangerous it is um you know most of it is you know you see from movies and all sort of things and you think it's there's only that much you know it can't be that dangerous no it is it is extremely dangerous so i i well i think to be honest it's uh, again fortune i think you know i did not know what to do after the cnbc thing for various reasons i left and you know it is it's one of the you know tv18 was one of the best companies i've worked with you know for and i still think that that laid the foundations to what i am today in a lot of ways but you know i it was reached a point where i thought i you know wanted to do other things uh, i grew very quickly in a place like tv18 because you know the the whole the whole company was growing so i got kind of pulled up with it uh, so so i had skill gaps um, and i'll be the first to admit that i you know i became a boss very young too young uh, which which leaves huge gaps in your skill sets at that time if someone asked me to actually go produce an entire show i think i would do a scratchy job of it because simply because i was just too i became i just became you know i was managing people at a very young age managing producer at a young age so in some ways that was my thinking you know i'll get out and you know i need to kind of uh, be in a slightly more uh, a newsroom where i kind of learn from you know people about me but you know when i left i was in two minds about what to do i just did not come about by then and um, and i just decided i'm going to to do this i'm going to travel and see what you know i can do and by sure luck there was someone actually uh, hiring um so indians at that time could go into afghanistan fairly easily because um you know our passports our visas so that's a big uh, factor yeah being an indian is a huge disadvantage in the in the or being where i'm from being you know from the emerging world it's not an it's not an easy one to break into the into the into the uh, totally. the, the global international thing because what you know as an american or or as a brit you kind of take for granted you can walk into any place with a visa i need a visa into all the 100 countries i've been to 109 countries i've been to i need a visa for most of them including by the way somalia i've been to somalia and i can tell you i need a visa there <laughs> so um, 
so the thing is uh, so you know afghanistan that way was fairly easy to get into i got in i got in there because someone actually led me to it someone said there's a there's some non journalism work going on there which is you know there was a there's an archaeological dig etc do you want to come and and join us and try and do something with us so which i did which i went uh, for a, a sort of archaeological led uh, work that was going on uh, you know outside of kabul uh towards kandahar actually and um that's how i landed there and then of course i re- i actually did very little of that <laughs> and neither you know I, i don't think anyone really found anything you know that uh, that uh, sort of history making uh, and then i got to travel a lot and then i travel across uh, you know i across afghanistan uh, and then and i actually did go all the way up north um, and and crossed into uzbekistan i wanted to see the blue mosque uh you know Uh, and and i actually managed to um, you know go all the way up there and come back this is a hugely defining uh, time of my life because i i actually also kind of realized that i could do this you know i you know i think is always a big question mark you know when you're in a newsroom and you know sitting in a gallery sitting in an office you mm-hmm. kind of are taking these journalistic decisions but it's a completely set of circumstances which you are dealing with when you're on the ground you know in a right. place like that and i think uh, it taught me a lot of things and you know in and over time i kind of i i think that allowed me to become a better leader because i, I couldn't understand it i'll be honest when i when i used to deploy people i used to always i used to uh, you know when i was younger i i couldn't fully understand what their concerns were or what they thought uh, the challenges were or what the challenges were on the ground i think this kind of taught me that there are a lot of things there that i don't fully comprehend you know and as a leader i must be able to comprehend that and actually take that on board and, and be able to to kind of be able to absorb that uh, and then take a decision based on what that that's coming back so in some ways that's a, a huge uh, influence on on the way i i thought of my career overall and and certainly the way i looked at journalism because i think you go from imagining that the journalism of doing a, a show a business show or something like that is what journalism is it's not mm-hmm. it's what is really it is one part is a very important part but but there's that entire world which is which you're putting your life at risk for which is yeah. which is and and that's that's fascinating to me i remember reading um frank gardner's autobiography um after the what the what his, his paralysis in i think it was in saudi arabia in 2004 yeah. and it was one of the most compelling stories of journalism i've ever read in my life um i just got a chill up my spine when i was speaking about it um and i think it's just such it shows such pure journalism when you're on the ground putting yourself in harm's way oh yeah a story like this um you know i'd love to know from you kind of how you think about the role of a journalist uh and what that real like in its most pure form what is a journalist trying to do i think uh for me the most important part of journalism is a certain amount of objectivity it's not possible to be 100% objective uh, you have your subjective views you know you know you you know even if it's not you know for whatever reason could be even subconscious you know you like this politician you don't like this politician you you agree with uh, you know something that's going on on the ground you disagree with i think the most important thing at least uh, as far as i'm concerned is being able to to tell what you see uh i think that's the first uh, rule of it you know you got to be able to 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 basically to to kind of describe something with taking the emotion and the uh, the um ob- you know subjectivity out of it and then of course you you can you know if something that's happening in front of you is abjectly wrong and you know it's it's actually you know that happens you know quite a lot of time you should be able to define that as well i'm not saying that you remove the the right and wrong out of it not at all in fact i think that's that's where journalists are more than just you know recorders we are not doc, we are not just documenting we just uh, we are we are basically telling you you know a draft of history in some ways so it's you know you should be able to define that but i think some of these are kind of the fundamental basis of what journalism is uh, you should be able to say it as you see it um, and then of course be able to define the right and the wrong in it um, and that's and and the unfortunate part of the defining of the right and wrong what's happening today is is we are led that is almost entirely colored by partisanship 
anywhere in the world you know it is we are we are probably living in the most divisive time or you know in we will ever see i think mm-hmm. it's like it you know it's i've never in my career seen a time where people question facts you know you there were certain defined uh, f- defined sort of facts that you kind of you agreed that those were uh, those were kind of um, those were uh, implicit in some ways those are things that you were kind of agreed upon those agreed upon virtues and those agreed upon facts have essentially eroded the, no one agrees even on those those basic you know sort of thing so that's why you see you know trump saying you know those elections were fraud and you know the whole bunch of people saying that's it's all fraud <laughs> because yeah. you're not agreeing on even the basic parameters on which you agreed upon before yeah. so i think i mean that that's kind of literally uh, you know sort of torn down the foundations of what we have built over you know over over 100 years 100 plus years so i think to now more than ever i think you need you need those you need to be able to rebuild those set of parameters and of course be able to actually you know kind of sort of be less partisan in the way you're you're sort of reporting things and i think that's it's a much harder job i would not uh, i don't envy the guy who enters uh, journalism today because he's he or she is dealing with a much more complex world a much more complex uh, you know uh, what do you call it narrative Uh, a much more uh, a much much more blurred sort of right and wrongs in some cases in some cases some of some of them are quite out there and a much you know much less of a foundation to to build yourself on i think that that foundation has been attacked in a very big way totally and and i guess that that erosion of trust between what just people and institutions or the media they're reading um obviously it's incredibly sad and it there's a lot of problems that come with that but do you see any opportunities um that emerge from that uh, maybe it's for kind of folks who are looking to set up a new kind of media business uh, oh maybe- yeah i mean there's a huge opportunity i think the opportunity for anyone the opportunity it's it lies in itself in doing simple things <laughs> if you can do the simple good journalism there's an opportunity already simply because it's just so ended up so partisan at the moment that just doing that and being able to tell both sides of a story and being able to do the basics of it itself an opportunity and you're seeing that by the way uh, i think you know while as much as we all t- you know talk about the decline of journalism and decline of media companies etc there is also uh, companies that are growing you know in the new york times which is it's still a gold standard or washington post gold standards and you know you could go back 40 years and they were breaking news even then and you can come 40 years down they're still breaking the news you know they are finding trump's tax returns they found you know they found the watergate watergate and the pentagon papers and today you still rely on those guys to find these kind of so journalism in my view is still well and alive uh, in pockets in very big pockets uh, and these are big pockets they're not small media companies they're big media companies uh, which are which are continue to thrive and then there are these new ones the politicos and the axios and you know they are which are really coming and and actually thriving you know they are they're growing enormously by basically being able to tell it as they see it you know they're not you know they're not aligned one way or the other they are, they are kind of making sure that they are they're reporting what they see so the opportunity is is huge i think the challenge is that there are we are living in a time where you have populists and you know you know basically you know the, we are living in an age of strong men who have bas- who have attacked the institutions pretty much across the board that is in any place you can think of now where the institutions have been attacked so much that uh, that covering those institutions in itself has become slightly more difficult but i know i'm i'm hopeful that this is kind of we are we're kind of getting to a stage where people are fatigued by that and people want to know more you know more you know the, the truth the more you know more facts they want to know more about something and i do believe that that will actually that creates more opportunities so i i i think the opportunities are plenty it's just that i think every media company will have to evolve quite quite quickly um you know and and the challenges are not just the actual story itself but the platform they got to decide on the platforms you know facebook and google are eating their lunch on 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 their advertising uh, business and then they got to figure out a way to actually still cover the story and and grow the 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 audience etc so i think the challenges are slightly multi-pronged you know? 
it sounds like this uh, desire for objectivity and the sense of empathy, a lot of it came from perhaps that Afghanistan trip was literally one of the biggest exercises in empathy you could have. You know, you literally go to places yep. so different that challenges you in ways culturally, safety-wise, makes you think about what being a journalist really means. Uh, in that moment, when you, I mean, how long did you spend in Afghanistan? Was that for oh, a long three time? months. No, three no, months, yeah. about two and a half, three months, maybe. So um, in that condensed three-month period, at the end of it, what did you come out thinking about what your next step was? Oh, I mean, I didn't have much time, actually. Weirdly, um, I uh, I thought of then going for academics. I almost joined academics in the UK. Um, you know, you, you know, I wanted to do economic history, which is something that I, I had been thinking for a long time. It's still a, a subject that's dear to me. And um, and just out of the blue, I got a you know, I got this job offer, and I actually not job offer. Someone told me about Al Jazeera English, and I wrote to. The guy who was heading it, and um, you know, said that you know, you know, I, I would like to to join, and he said, I'm not sure there's a position at the moment. So he said, I, I told him that you know, I'll do one thing. I'll send you a. I will come on my own accord. I will. You just get me a visa. I will pay for myself, and I'll come. Um, and I think it kind of. He was surprised. I don't think he was. Uh, he he was fairly surprised that actually I did that and. You know, and uh, and he said, no, no, don't worry about it. We'll send you the thing. And then he offered me a job. Now I was very senior in my job before that, and and I kind of took a position down to to take this job, because I wanted to work with people who were better than me. And I have to say, Al Jazeera was a place that where I found people better than me, and I think much better than me. And I had to catch up. I could see that I had to catch up to uh, to uh, to the guys there. Uh, in fact, you know. I made some of my closest friends there because I made friends there who, who are friends for life. You know, in fact, I, I mentioned it to you. One of them just joined, uh, you know, TV News to head TV New Zealand, where you guys are. You are, and he was someone I learned the the craft of television. I mean, I I didn't I didn't realize how much I didn't know, uh, and I learned a huge amount of how to make decisions, etc. And um, and and actually crafting of a of a television of a video sort of uh, environment. Uh, so yeah, so I think uh, so to to answer your question, I didn't really get that much time to actually procrastinate about what that looked like. I actually ended up going to the next thing, and I have to admit, it's it's pretty much moved the same way out of Al Jazeera into into Bloomberg as well because I didn't really get enough time to think about whether this is the way I want to go or that way I want to go. The opportunities just came, and I just didn't. I didn't. You know, I, I, the only thing I thought of is whether I like it or not. You know, I, and I'm and I'm fairly fairly bullheaded about the liking and non-liking part, which has always been my strength and weakness. The strength is that I'm very decisive in it. So if I'm if I this is what I want, this is what I want, and I go with it. The 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 weakness is that I make sometimes I take that decision very quickly, and I don't really. It has worked out so far. I don't know it'll work out all the time. <laughs> so the, the next big transition moment and decision you had to make then was when you were 30 years old and you got offered a really big job opportunity then. Could you tell yes. us the story behind that leading up to it and also what was going through your head decision-making when it came to that? Yeah, I was not looking for that job. Um, it was, again, <laughs> I had gone for another job in London. I'd gone for a job interview with another job. And I got a call from one of my close, close friends and mentor, a guy called Steve Clark, uh, who was who was before that my boss at Al Jazeera. Uh, he was a director of news, a brilliant guy. And he called me and said, "Look, uh, there's this job going." Because I had written to him about, you know, I was thinking of, you know, doing other things. I wanted his advice, and he said, "There's this job going um, in India. Uh, do you want to take that job?" And I was, I have to admit that I was not, I was not up for going back home at that time. What was the job? I wanted. It was to run, uh, to basically to be executive producer of, of of a channel that they that Bloomberg had partnered with. And I was not hundred. I was not sure. I was like, uh, this is, doesn't seem like I want to do this. So I and I got a pretty good offer from another uh, company, and I won't name it because simply because I didn't go through with it. And I actually got that job, and it was a much bigger job. And you know, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. But then to, a day later, I got a call from Steve Clark saying that, look, Steve and you know, Steve is someone I, I never say no to. So he said, look, come in and meet um, uh, Andy Lack, um, who's a, 
is a big deal in the world I come from. Andy is a Andy was the CEO of Sony. Um, if you've you know you've heard of him, he had this protracted battle with Steve Jobs. He's very well known for that. Uh, and before that, he had a sort of storied media career because you know he was a president of NBC. Um, you know he was one of the first. He was him and Dan Rather were the first journalists to get into into Afghanistan. And there's Charlie Wilson. You know you've seen the movie Charlie Wilson's War that actually has some description of that. Um, it's it's kind of he's a storied journalist. He's a very well known guy. Uh, and I said, you know, I'm not going to say no to meeting him. If nothing else, it's a meeting with him. He hates my guts, and I'm out of the out of the door. And I, you know, I kind of escaped that bullet. <laughs> and I went in for the job interview, and um, you know, it was supposed to be a 15 minute, 20 minute window. It went on for a much longer. And at the end of it, Andy just said, "So when are you joining?" That's Later on, I realized that that's just how he functions. <laughs> what he uh, he likes someone. He kind of sorry, and I was like, oh, I actually, uh, uh, you know, let me think about it. Something he just said, look, what do you want? What do you want? And you know, you got the job. And I, you know, I was upfront with him, saying that I just don't want to be, you know, closeted back in you know India and so things. He said, look, I'm um, you're made for bigger things. Believe me, we are we are. Um, we are uh, we are expanding quite dramatically in the next uh, in the next few months, and there will be opportunities. So I kind of you know, and you know, I could see that the, the job that I was joining was a much bigger job. Uh, but it, the first my first order of business would have been to cut down the number of people. Everyone is wondering what you said in that interview. Yeah. How did so I don't know. You know, I I think. Um, uh, you know, I, I think in some way, I mean, when, now when I ask Andy, and Andy's a mentor to me, you know, he's, I don't think anyone has made more more of an impact on my career in the way I think about things than, uh, than and Andy in, in, in the initial days, especially because I was so young, because I was literally thrown in the deep end, and and, and I needed a lot of support at that time. Um, I, I think he, he looked, uh, he says that he just thought that I loved it. I loved what I do. Uh, he said that he just, I had so many ideas that I, I threw it every two minutes. Uh, you know, I wanted to do this and, you know, I wanted to do the, you know, I, I kind of explained the business part a lot, which I loved, but I never thought I would get a job in, in that side. I always thought, it'll, you know, in our world, it's siloed. You know, the, the business side is always siloed from the editorial side. So I think at the end of it, he just thought that I would be, I don't know what uh, clicked in him. I, I, you know, I can't define, he, I don't know, I don't, he's, he's never defined it to me, but he just said that I just felt that my instinct told me that here's a guy who just loved it as much as I did, you know, and, and as, uh, you know, loved both sides of it, which, which, which he loved because he managed both. And, um, and then, you know, uh, I went back to India, I went to India, did this for about three months, three months later, I got a call as promised uh, from Andy saying, uh, find your replacement in India. Um, and um, figure out figure out your timing to move. And I, that was about the time that I, you know, met my wife. And you know, I, you know, I was going to get married. And I was like, oh shit! It's like, you know, um, oh god, the timing is horrible. <laughs> and then I kind of, uh, I kind of, you know, stretched it and you know said, okay, maybe you know, three months' time. There's a lot of work to do here. And like, <laughs> anyway, finally, at some point, it, he ran. There was a huge. Japan, uh, uh, the, the big earthquake in Japan, which you know obviously turned out to be tsunami, etc. And then he, uh, um, he, you know, that was a big turning point. He just said, "I want you there now. It's you know, you need to get yourself there." Um, and he said, "You know, just before I, you know, joined, he said, look, these are the parameters of the job. You're running the business, the television business. You got to you got to figure out what you're going to do with it." I, I just had to, I took it and, and then um, I just, the only thing I asked, told him is that I want to be given enough leeway to take risks. And he gave me that, you know, he did not uh, let me down. Him, um, you know, at, at the same time, I had interviewed with the Bloomberg, the chairman of Bloomberg at the time, Peter Grauer as well. And I have to admit, uh, the three people above me at the time was, you know, Andy Lack, and then there was Dan Doktorov who was the CEO and Peter Grauer, the CEO of Bloomberg. And Peter Grau, the chairman, they never really interviewed. Interfered. I did, I took a lot of risk that that I thought at times said this is it. I'm probably going to get fired. <laughs> um, and um, and most of it in the business side. Um, and 
which where I was still learning, you know, for, if you know what I mean. So I was, uh, you know, you kind of, they let me be and, and let me do my thing. So in some ways it's a, you know, that taking that job was a huge turning point because I'm not sure that any other job I would have taken at that time would have taken me up this path and got me to understand so many parts of, of the media business that I, you know, began to understand over time. Hey, I don't know that that answers your question. No, it, it does. I, I, can you tell us more about like the specifics of the job, what your responsibilities were, the immensity of that, and also why perhaps someone generally at that age with that experience, probably it's quite a stretch on paper. I think, uh, I mean, I think more than the age, because I think the age is, you know, you, you do find, find people who, who get there young. I mean, I think it's uh, the people who got there younger than me. Uh, I, I think it's rare to find people rare to find jobs in which you control both. Uh, can you lead a newsroom by 30? Of course you can. There are some incredibly brilliant people who have done it um, even earlier and done, I have had some really incredible careers. Uh, can you run, do, can you become a CEO of a media company in 30? Of course. I mean, like, you know, you know, there are platforms who have, you know, become CEOs by 24, 25. Uh, I, I think where for me was the industry rarely allows or rarely has people who do both the business and journalism at the same time, uh, and certainly not at the young age. So in a lot of ways, that was a risk that they took. It was not the risk for, a risk for me. I think it was an opportunity for me. They took a big risk on, on these things. On thing. And uh, for me, the challenge was that I'd never done things like sales. You know, I'd never done a sales presentation. I didn't know what a PowerPoint deck because in the world I come from, there were no PowerPoint decks. You know, you don't do, journalists don't do sit and make PowerPoint decks. There's no time for it. <laughs> um, and whereas in this world, everything was on a PowerPoint deck. You know, you needed a, you know, to buy a small screw, you needed a PowerPoint deck for it. Um, so it was just two, essentially two completely different worlds. And um, I was lucky again, because, you know, you know, Andy said, build your team. And the, the team that was in place at that time uh, and you know Yuri, uh, who was who was a TV head, was already was already there heading programming. There was a fairly large number of you know people I knew from before. There's a guy called Paul Tyson who's he managed news gathering. So a lot of people I knew already who had already got hired. On the on the on the sales side, there was this Kiwi guy, um, uh, who who was uh, one of the straightest shooters I've ever met. Uh, I met him and I you know. The first thing that came to me is he told me exactly what the challenges of the business were. You know, he just said, these are the challenges of the business and this is what we do, which made my job much easier. So he actually did most of my work. <laughs> no, but he, uh, you know, he needed quick decisions. He needed uh, a bunch of things. On the distribution side, we had to, you know, we use those days we used to, uh, you know, uh, the distribution had to be, you know, we had, we were looking at expanding distribution. So I needed a lot of leeway on the distribution side, which, no one realizes how big a challenge it is. And um, frankly, I got, you know, a, you know, I got a basically, you know, blank sheet of paper and they said, just go do it. So I had to think of so many parts of it. First, you know, fixing the content piece and then, and then fixing the, you know, the business can get fixed only around the content. So I actually first focused on the content part. Once you've got that right, then you kind of fixed everything around it. Uh, it took me, you know, it took us, took us about a year to, to all fix it, you know, for it all to come together. And once the momentum came, I think it was easier to build. And then in 2013, uh, you know, my boss, my new boss was a guy called Justin Smith, who was, uh, who founded Quartz and, you know, was in Atlantic media, again, had a storied career in, in that part of the world. Uh, and then, you know, everything was about how do you build the entire digital piece out in a much bigger way. So, it was again starting that from scratch because you know it was highly centralized in New York for many years, and then kind of building the teams and kind of building out the digital businesses over the next uh, next two or three years. That's fascinating, and I mean this is a huge opportunity for you coming into this role. Um, you had a lot of experience in half of it, but the rest was kind of a big learning curve for you. How do you how yeah. did you think about kind of day one to day one hundred, what you should do, how you should get to grips with this new thing? So I kind of, uh, it's a really good question because that is usually the single biggest um, challenge because I think that is the time when you I, you know you're either going to sink or swim really, uh, the first 100 to 150 days. 
um, because everyone gives you a leeway for about three, four months. You know, after that, it gets, you know, let's see some results, you know. Uh, I got slightly longer time. Um, Andy knew that I was new and everyone knew that I was new to this. They knew the, the challenges that come with it. Um, and um, I got slightly longer. But I, I think what I did was I kind of laid out goals. You know, I laid out a day, it, basically X number of months to fix the content piece. Hiring was a big part of it. Because I think um, you can have the best plan in the world and not be able to move an inch if you cannot hire the best people for that job. And so I kind of focused on three or four things. I think hiring was one of them. Uh, fixing the product was the second part. And then, and, then, and then the business, because I think the business kind of uh, already starts showing promise the moment you fixed the first two. Uh, so I, I, I kind of lay down milestones for what, where I should get on hiring, you know, in two months time, uh, you know, and, you know, uh, product four months more than that, I mean, six months overall. And then the business another six months. So I kind of laid out these rules. And uh, I have to say we hit almost all of them. Uh, there's no credit to me, there's more credit to the team. They, they really hit every point of it because everyone wanted it. And there was a lot of, you know, let's fix this. Let's fix this sort of thing. My job is just motivate. Everyone else was doing the, the hard job of actually getting it all up and running. So the first hundred days, really, you have to plan out you have to kind of see what the end result, you, what you want at the end of it. For me, what, the, what I wanted at the end of it was a, was a great team, a, a product that is improving uh, over time. Not, you, cannot, you may not have fully fixed it. It's never fully fixed, and, uh, which is improving and, and actually gathering momentum. And then a business that's, continue, that's beginning to grow. You know? So these are the three things that I kind of focused on in the first 100 days. It was more like 150 or you know, 160 days, but that's what I really focused all my energies into. So I, one of the lines that you said earlier that uh, still has actually kind of stuck in my head since you said this a few minutes ago is when Andy Lack said to you, you're, you're destined for bigger things uh, at his first meeting with you. And clearly as time went on and you started getting more and more responsibility to eventually being you know, like the head of Bloomberg Media International, um, did, did, did those words still like echo in your head? Because what's fascinating to me is some of the people we've interviewed actually, it, it was like one moment, like one conversation when they were younger, where a, like a senior person has inspired them. Like for example, one of our other guests, he was about to drop out of um, uh, his career trying to be an artist until one lecturer said, no, cool. keep, keep drawing, I believe in you. And then now he's like yeah. an award-winning uh, illustrator. And yeah. I think back to, I don't know if that of those words had an impact on, on you to the same degree. I mean, you obviously mentioned those words, but as you like fast forward 10 years later, um, did you still, uh, did that help motivate you over those last 10 years? Do you think that you would hugely. have been the same if he didn't say that, you know? Well, I, I think it hugely, he doesn't remember anything, uh, this anymore. And, you know, <laughs> we talk about it and he said, do we really say that? And he, he, yeah, I said, I said <laughs> that, that stuck in my head. Um, uh, but the thing is he, um, I, I, it did, because it was coming from someone who was basically the top of the game, you know, a uh, legendary figure uh, at the top of his game and someone who actually knew the content piece more than anyone else I knew, knew I know. I mean, still, I, I don't know anyone who loves content as much as he does, you know, he loves news. He's just a news hound, you know? So coming from him, that was a big compliment or, or I don't even know if it's compliment because I always assume that there's a little bit of marketing the job to you because I do it myself, right? Like you always do it as you grow, you kind of know there's a marketing the job to you. But I think it was a big motivator in the sense that I, I, I knew that I was competent to be in the big league, to get the, uh, to get, you know, when you're coming, when, at that time when I was joining, there were two or three questions in my head. One, are you competent enough to be in there? Two, um, are you, uh, uh, are you uh, can you be, can you thrive in an environment that is in some ways alien to you? Because it is, you know, breaking from domestic media in India to breaking to the international is a fairly big jump. It's a fairly big jump with the, its limitations. You know, I'm, you know, I'm Indian, you know, it's, you know, the, the, you know, a lot of assumptions that come with it. Uh, so it is a fairly big sort of climb up to that. And then someone telling you that I think, you know, you can do the job. I think you'll do it really well and you trust you with it. Uh, I think was a big motivator. 
in you know when i look back because it made me uh less risk averse let me put it that way you know um and i think uh, i think if anyone would any one strength if there's only one strength i had to name for 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 me for me climbing is that i am i'm very very uh, i'm almost a Uh, i'm almost i have an affinity for risk <laughs> love it uh, i love i it. i i take risks i uh, and i think uh, in some ways it's been shaped by what uh, you know my how my career has gone today whatever decision i make is not going to kill anyone it's you know there will be some failure but nothing i do no decision i make at bloom made at bloomberg would have killed anyone so in some ways i knew that that's i've already taken the big risks you know both with my life as well as you know putting others at risk So now, whatever I do is going to be nothing compared to that. So I think in some ways I approached the the job at Bloomberg that way, that at the what is my worst case scenario? I lose my job, um, and I can take that, you know, and 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 went from there. <laughs> That's so great. And and one of the other things you just said as well was that um, you know you, you suddenly were kind of pushed onto the the world stage of media. Um, and that's a pretty interesting stance and viewpoint that you had then, because you're looking across. you know amia um apac but you're also working for an american company um would love your kind of take on uh, the differences in the way media is reported across uh the globe and also you know what kind of opportunities you think might be emerging from that so i think um again i think one of the lucky things is bloomberg is a very global company you know highly global it's more global than you know more than half of bloomberg lp there's a mother company's revenue comes from outside the us you know and that's public uh, that's in the public domain and uh, so in some ways that uh, bloomberg and certainly mike bloomberg and and you know the, the top management essentially viewed it viewed it always viewed everything as a global play uh, it was an opportunity to be able to dominate elsewhere because american comp- american bloomberg's a fairly new media company you know it's only 30 35 years old as you know in its existence that is bloomberg lp and the media company is much later it's in the 90s you know and so most of his media assets so it's a very young media company whereas there are these established players which have been there for many years so in some ways the the media market in the us is so competitive that it you know a company like bloomberg thought that there's a huge there's a fairly large opportunity to dominate outside the us because it's 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 slightly less taken and i think it's right we dominated in asia we dominated in europe because you know uh, our competitors whether it's cnbc or anyone were not as as entrenched as they were in 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 the us so it's um, so that was the first uh, first big thing because there was an opportunity uh, uh, and it was a time when everyone was globalizing their newsrooms they were changing and trying to look at other opportunities china all these were growing quite a lot and there was actual actual move to a to the east you know uh, which is an actual it's an actual real push towards the east which is less the thing uh, you know american companies tend to when they when an american company media company tells you global they essentially mean the united states yeah they don't really mean uh, global you know it's basically manhattan you know there's a small <laughs> <laughs> you know that's like any media company that's you know so so when you know then you know when they all realize that there is a world outside of you know 57th uh, street that's when you kind of realize oh god that's you know there's an opportunity and i think there was that moment in the in the in the you know 2010 11 when everyone looked at it as an opportunity to grow and bloomberg grew you know bloomberg media grew uh, you know we were not constrained by resources we were we were allowed to grow and we were allowed to take risks and actually take that forward um and for me in some ways it was uh, it allowed me to learn as well so you know you you know you you know we kind of started all sorts of things we started uh, you know tv channels in different parts of the world uh, you know licenses licensed and and part in partnership but at the same time looked at different languages to get into it was a i think there was a realization somewhere around 2010 2011 that if media had to grow it had to go glo- grow global uh otherwise it's not it's never going to be uh thing and i have to say while we blame the platforms in some ways that is a platform experience kind of played with that you know google for instance or facebook was growing more in india than any other part of the world 
Um, so that told us that, look, these guys have gone there and actually grown. There's something there, you know? So, uh, in, so in some ways, if the world, the, the world changed uh, and, and we were trying to, I think media overall was trying to catch up with it. Um, and and I, was, I was fortunate enough to be in a position to have actually been that, you know, being that global citizen because of living, you know, different. And I grew up in Oman, in, uh, in Muscat, in uh, Oman. And I, you know, studied, uh, you know, later years at boarding school, I was in India, but then went to study in the UK. My first job was, uh, you know, in India, but then went to the, the Middle East. I, you know, traveled a lot in Africa. So it's like, by sheer coincidence, my profile matched someone who actually they, they, they wanted, who, who had a global experience, uh, not just in media, but more, more of living, uh, living as a global citizen. So it was fortunate. Yeah, and I guess that, that's, that's really interesting in that um, it's not just about the growth, right? It's about meeting the cultural nuance of each place that you want to grow to. Yeah. Um, you know, if you were to give advice to maybe a smaller media company who's looking to expand from the US now, how do you do that with enough cultural sensitivity to make sure that it can be a success in whatever country it is you're going to? First advice I would do is hire a local. Don't try to parachute someone from the US into, into Asia and expect the guy, uh, he or she, to learn the nuances within even a year. Because the nuances are, it's not easy. It is these, some of these, I mean, there is no similarity between an Indian market and an Australian market. There's no similarity. They all come in the same region. Even Asia Pack is kind of a weird, you know, cultural packing of a lot of things into one uh, region. And that's mostly done by someone sitting far away. Uh, so that's the one thing that you learn the moment you, you come here. Most of them really learn that no, Japan is not a bus distance from, from Beijing. You know, it's far, far away. It's, you know, it's, it's a, I think that's the one thing I always tell everyone, hire someone who's got local experience. Ideally hire someone from the region because that person will, will know not just the cultural nuances, but will know his or her way around, around building products. You know, they will know what products work and what don't. No amount of, of research sitting by, you know, a bunch of guys sitting in the US will ever be able to capture that. It's a fact. And um, some of the most successful companies, tech companies in the world are, have become far more, uh, you know, sort of um, a far more regional in, their, in the way they function. Uh, in India, a, a Facebook or a, a Google will always hire an Indian guy in the market who knows it really well, who reports into the US uh, and to run it and to run it independently. And the most successful of all of them have all done that, you know. So I think that's the first thing I would advise. The second thing is, is, is um, be tolerant of risk because I think uh, these are not, most of the world is not a structured market. You know, they're not like US domestic market, which is over the period of time, um, you know, evolved and become structured. There are certain institutions well, if you see Fox News, you'd think it's not, but uh, it is more, <laughs> it's more structured. Uh, but the thing is, it is um, there. There are certain things you can take for granted in 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 the developing world. That's not true because there are a lot of things evolving. Technology has taken leaps here. You know, everyone ends up. It, the United States is no more the technological capital of the world. It's it's something that we'll have to live with. The world has to live with. You know uh, what? Uh, you know. Uh, you know when they. You know. Facebook and a lot of these guys are trying to enter payment gateways with what's in the chat apps. These guys have done it. These guys have had it for years, you know, and they know how to monetize it as well. So you have to have that humility to say that these are markets that are moving at, a, at an incredible pace, a pace that is not set by the, by the West. It's been set by them. And so you have to come with that humility and, and actual, actual sort of ability to learn from them rather than trying to dictate it because the world has changed in the last 15, 20 years. And uh, I, I think that's a really, so most companies should come with a willingness to be able to evolve to that situation rather than hope that the market evolves to you, basically. 
I think those yeah. are the two most important things when you look at it from a company perspective. Everything else will evolve with it. Product, etc., will evolve with that. Yeah. G- given the last ten years of what you've done at Bloomberg and your ability to see this intersection of all these different trends, like being in a in such a senior media role that oversees so much of this, you probably have a, quite a knowledgeable worldview that most other people don't have when it comes to seeing these trends geographically, technology-wise, media-wise. And now you're in an interesting transition period of your own where you've, you're leaving Bloomberg or, and if you've left already, uh, yeah. what is, what, yeah, what's your, where, how do you see the world right now, both in terms of what your future might be uh, and also where the world's going, where, where, what's the transition period you're going through right now? I, I think, uh, uh, I mean, it is a huge transition because, you know, in some ways you kind of, uh, you, you know, I, I think I, I left Bloomberg not because I, um, because I had anything, you know, I had a, I mean, Bloomberg was an incredible place for me. Um, I grew there. I met some of the kindest people there, some of the smartest people there. The management on top were brilliant human beings. And in the, in the way they kind of let me do my thing. I left largely because I, I in some ways, I, you, know, you hit a glass ceiling. You know, it's, it's not a glass ceiling constructed by a company, but really your own glass ceiling where you kind of, you look at it and say, is this the job I want to do? Or is that what I want to do here? In this media company, or is there something else that I want to try out and 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 do other things? So I reached that point, I think, and I had done this job for many years. You know, uh, I, I you know I kind of um, went through many management changes, and and I kind of did this for for very very long, from a very young age to what I am. So and I kind of uh, looked at it as something that I've already I've done everything I can with this. You know. It, uh, even from a company perspective, I, my suggestion to them always has always been that someone fresh should look at the company because it's my fresh, it's, you, know, uh, you know, my eyes are less fresh when it comes to this company. And I wanted to do the same somewhere else where I wanted to be able to look at something else, uh, you know, in a sort of uh, slightly more objective way and, and kind of learn something. And I think you'll stop learning after a point and I stopped learning. Uh, and I think for me, it was about leaving and learning something new, learning uh, different parts of, uh, 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 you know, a new industry in you. So I angel invest in different companies. I've always done it. And Bloomberg was kind enough to allow me to do things which, which was non-media, et cetera. And uh, I learned a lot from those. And I, I allowed me to, end, you know, kind of invest in things that, that uh, you know, I, I always say that, uh, angel investing often is vanity because <laughs> you kind of invest in a lot of things that you actually don't know much about, but, uh, but you think you know much about, you know? <laughs> so, you know, you invest in AI company, which I did, uh, just, you know, because somewhere in my head, I'm a journalist. I've read about it. I know a lot about it. Yeah. Actually, it's not, Sounds sexy. it kind of reflects my vanity that I actually know something about it. So actually, um, uh, so I, which is what I did. And I think, uh, it needed my attention in some ways, uh, and I started looking at different things to do. W- will I be go back to media? Put, potentially, yes, because I love it. You know, and I think after leaving it six months down, I, you know, I, you know, when the U.S. elections was on, the thing that I missed most was the being in the newsroom. And my wife kept saying that I don't know, you know, because I was frustrated. I was like, oh God, I was like, I, I wish I was in the newsroom right now. And uh, I was itchy, you know. I watched it through the night and through the thing and. I miss that. And I think, uh, so I would love to, you know, there are parts of it that I, I really miss, but I've outgrown some of the aspects of, 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 of doing some of the jobs that I used to do. Uh, so in some ways I have to redefine what I want to do in media, but it'll probably be not the same kind of things that I've done before, you know, um, and find an exciting space or company that actually I would want to work with and who, which, who allow me to do something different and build something different. So, um, so this transition phase is, is a slightly different one where I have no pressures, which, is, which you have, I've had in my previous transitions. I have no financial pressures. I think I've passed that, uh, that stage in my career. I have no uh, pressures to actually take something up because I want to build up my CV. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a unique time, uh, which has... I, I wish I had more pressure. I'll be honest with you because it kind of <laughs> hurries you up a little bit more. And I'm, I work well with under pressure, uh, but in some ways it's also liberating because I can do things that I, you know, I, you know, I can 
find a company that I want to invest in, I can play in the stock markets and try something new. You know, so I, yeah, it's a it's a different time, I suppose. It's um, but yeah, it's a uh, I will do something full time soon. You know, it's just a question of of getting through this period where I want to figure out what I want to do next. You know, and how and how long I want to do that. So, so if if someone were listening to this and they think they've got that opportunity for you, how would they get in touch? Yeah. Oh, they can always get in touch with me through LinkedIn or 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 email, obviously. But I think uh, you know, I, you know, you you end up. I think one one thing just to add to that is one of the big good things of a transition is you end up talking to a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people every day. I'm doing these calls where I'm just trying to absorb different people. You know, obviously people off you know approach you for jobs, and so you're talking to them as well. But in a lot of cases, people who are just not nothing to do with uh, what you have done before, and that gives you a perspective that that I think when you're in a job, you're always uh, when you're sitting in a job. And I was sad of sitting at Bloomberg. You did have some of these conversations, but it was everything you know. Everything is bent towards how can you extract something for the company, you know. Whereas now today, I think you kind of go with zero baggage. You're trying to just literally learn. Yeah, what that person is doing. So you ask those stupid questions that that you have in your mind that is that you wouldn't ask when you're sitting in a job as you know, you know, president, managing director of Bloomberg Media because you don't want to come across as stupid. Um, but you know, you ask those questions without any real baggage attached to it, and 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 you learn. I think, I think the most important thing for me is is uh, is learning from something and not assuming assuming that I don't know. A lot of what, even media. I'll be honest. I mean, I'm not, you know, I've been in these big jobs, but the thing is, essentially, you, there's no one can say that they know what you know media is. You know, I know so many people who say that they know exactly what the strategy should be. They're lying. They're either lying or deluding themselves. Because I don't think anyone does. You got to have the humility to say, I don't know. Because if you don't, you're going to go through the path. You're going to kind of commit to a path that. That will lead you in a certain way, and then you would have been too far in to actually be able to say it's a failure. You know, that happens in media, by the way. That matters a lot of people who just cannot say something is a failure openly. My my point has always been: you should fail quickly. You you should know that you fail. You failed. This is failure. Move on. Take the browbeat. You know, get beaten down for it. That's fine. But take that failure and you know learn from it. Because I think the risk is the biggest risk is is you not admitting the failure. I think media companies go through it because these are how you should do it. And some ways we paid the price. That's why no one went and charged a subscription fee on uh, on um, on on the internet when they're not giving it for free. The physical product is you you're charging them, but when you're going online, you're not charging them. I mean, you just have to think for about five minutes and say. Why am I doing that? Why am I giving this for free? And they would have actually, you know, admitted that there's a problem there, and they would have, you know, they would have, it would have evolved quicker. So I feel that media overall spends a lot of time not admitting their failures, uh, because, you know, the leaders on top don't want to admit it because they think it's a stain on their career and all sorts of things. So I, I you know, so these transitions are are really important for you to to actually think those through in some ways. It makes you humble. Because you don't have the power and the title that go with uh, the job you were sitting in, and that makes you more humble to begin with, I think. <laughs> um, Perry, to to close off every conversation we have with people, we have two questions. One's a bit more lighthearted. The second one's a bit more serious. So let's. I'll I'll start with the first one. Uh, what is your favorite romantic comedy, rom com film? Whoa. Uh. <laughs> it always triggers uh, quite a quite a response. Yeah, gosh, um, God, uh, it's a it's a tough one because, oh, uh, you know what? I, I don't think this is a strictly a rom com, because I don't think that term that term was was actually uh, invented at that time. Uh, among the romantic movies that I think I I love the Roman Holiday. I think it's a okay, fascinating classic. Movie. That is an amazing movie. I can see it many times. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it's a rom-com because I don't think that term was invented then. But yeah. you know, 
it's not a love actually but it's 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 a it's it's a classic <laughs> amazing awesome. the second um, one to end though is a little bit more serious okay so you're sitting across the table from an 18 year old parry what do you say to him ooh uh very very interesting one because you know you always uh you know when you have get togethers uh, with your old friends you see a reflection of yourself in them because you know you know you kind of know what they have seen they've known you as the 18 year old <laughs> yeah. uh, so you kind of see a reflection of the, yourself in all of them and uh, you know i'm very close to all my friends my college mates and everyone um i would say patience i think be patient is a very important patience is something i learned over time i'm still a very impatient human being um i want everything quickly uh, and in some ways my career reflects the my impatience if you can see it because <laughs> um, i get bored quickly uh i think uh, i would say be more patient uh one two uh be uh i think be more serious about about learning and the academic part of it because if i were uh, I, if i were to go back in time i would the one thing i would change not because it would have changed my career in any any real way uh, is that i would have been more uh, i think been been more serious about both studying you know in till i got to college i was not and then after that i was i became hyper academic but it's you know i feel that the foundations are really important um i think patience to me is the single biggest virtue that i think i have to, i've had to learn it the hard way uh and if i could tell someone i would say be a lot more patient because it things will come um but you know there are some friends who say that i probably got where i am because i was less patient <laughs> amazing um, well thank you so much perry it has been a wonderful wonderful conversation and uh it's been incredible having you on thank you no likewise i think this is amazingly smart uh, questions and it's amazing how i mean you i mean i think you guys uh, yourselves have had some interesting careers in the young, young age that you guys are in <laughs> so it's fascinating thank you so much for having me it's hey, it's, it's been, been a fun awesome. conversation really enjoyed it